Hey, this is Justin. We just wanted to warn you that this is another one of those episodes that's being tagged explicit because we don't really want to, you know, censor our guests or anything. So, uh, maybe a little saltier in this podcast than normal. Just a heads up. Enjoy. Everybody, it is the twenty second of July, twenty seventeen. This is Red Pages Podcast, episode ninety seven. I think it's ninety seven. I'm Justin. I'm Gord. I'm and we have with oh, a, oh I fucked up. I fucked up already. <laughs> Never mind. It's good. Ah, no, it's good. It's good. We're just gonna keep rolling. Uh, we have with us a special guest today. Special guest, who are you? There we go. Amph- <coughs> oh fuck! Well, now I fucked it up. Oh boy. <laughs> We'll right, so no one, never mind. I'm fucking. I'm Randy Pitchford. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Good. I mean, no one would disbelieve you. You don't have any evidence that you're not. Um, and my name is Anthony Birch. I'm a writer. Cool. Me too. Let's be friends. All right. You may have noticed, listeners, that Paul is not here tonight. Paul is off, uh, fighting the good fight against the organization that conspires to destroy us. Uh, but it's okay. The, the cat cult. No, no, he's a member of the From cat the inside. You've got to get your lore, your podcast lore correct. <laughs> um, but we, he is here with us in spirit, and he does, he, he, uh, he does have a message for Anthony. He said to tell Anthony that he loves him and he's sorry that he can't be here tonight. That's very kind of him. So, um, why don't we just jump right into it, talk about our first segment, The Haps. Uh, Gord, why don't you kick us off? What's what's going on in your life these days? What's what's interesting and good? Hmm. Well, I'm feeling a little under the weather, which is lame. Also, I had surgery this week, which is l- lame and good, I guess, because that's uh, a box that can be checked off. Uh, but still, surgery is a thing that uh, is not... Are these two things related, or did you get sick and I also have surgery? I can't tell if this is just an after-effect... Okay. Um, of, the, of the surgery. Well, I mean, it took me like took me like a week to recover when I got back from Israel. So mm. if you if you uh, take shorter than a week to recover, you're doing better than I did. I was feeling great on the second day. Anyway, uh, I've also been playing some D and D with some friends. They're uh, I was surprised because they're not your typical nerdy person. Uh, we were just hanging out, and I I, I joked that we'd be running a campaign the next night and they said yeah okay okay and i said oh i have a lot to prepare <laughs> and I mean, uh, that's been fun sounds they just, good they just sounds great right in and they've been doing really well and I'm, you're playing fifth edition i'm proud of them yep yeah we're doing the uh since i did not have enough time to not have a lot of time to prepare i uh i'm running them through minds of fandolin okay i don't know it was that's is, like the, is that the, a the starter pack, pre made uh, okay in, introductory uh, module. I was thinking about running a D and D five E thing, but I haven't. I don't have any experience with five E. Is it like decently easy to run? How does it sort of rank? Uh, I think it's pretty easy. I feel like fourth edition was just a a, a, a push button get result, and this is mm, taking <laughs> such criticisms into account. 
So it's uh, I think it's more like 3.5, but also you don't have to worry about skill points every level. Mm -hmm. uh, they've they've they polished a lot of things down. Yeah, it felt like they took a lot of the good stuff from 3.5 that people really liked. Because uh, they like looked at Pathfinder, said Pathfinder's eating our lunch, <laughs> and how can we how can we make a, a game that's sort of like that but still our own thing? And they they landed somewhere in the middle. I thought it was fine when I played it. Yep, I like it. I I, I like it. I, I'm not going to defend it against 3.5 or anything. If 3.5 is what you're comfortable with, yeah, there's no reason you can't keep doing that. But uh, fifth edition is nice and fresh and new. Cool. Yeah. I'm reading a book. It's called. Oh man! It's called Thrawn. It is not very good. <laughs> As That's in the, the Imperial bad guy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's it's by the same guy who wrote the original, right? I suspected it might not be. <laughs> okay. I like you know from the manuscripts of kind of thing. I don't okay. know. Like Timothy Zahn is a people uh, is a person that people tend to like, right? I, I feel like I he's pretty well respected. He's writing the new StarCraft books now, as far oh, as cool. I heard. I uh, going into this, I wasn't expecting high literature because it's essentially legitimized fan fiction, right? Uh, it's a Star, yeah, it's a Star Wars book. Yeah, yeah. Although, like, Star, why can't a Star Wars book be high literature? Aren't you like putting down everybody who writes Star <laughs> Wars books without even giving them a chance? You should read every Star Wars book and then report back. Write it right into me, fans. No, I can't read them anymore because they're decanonized, and therefore I would not. It enjoy doesn't mean that them. they're still not. Because every page that I good. turned, I would know that it wasn't. Real. Just just pretend that the <laughs> new stuff is the non-canon stuff. Hmm. Hmm. I think this is a fight uh, that we are not ready to fight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's uh. It, like, Reminds me a lot of Dan Brown's books in that the main character is just super duper clever all the time and he always gets everything right on the first try. And all of the secondary characters exist to uh, ask him to clarify the finer points of his <laughs> <laughs> cleverness. And that is that is Thrawn. Uh, Does it get into any of the like interesting racial stuff that sort of characterized the original Thrawn character? Uh People keep coming up to him and asking him if he's this other race, and he's like, "No, I'm, I'm, this, I'm this race instead," and that's more or less it. There's also like, "Oh, the commandant gave him uh, a bad post because the commandant is racist because all Imperials are racist." That's and and like the the, the primary the primary secondary character. Uh, it's like, "Yep, that sure was a racist thing that dude did." And that's, I don't feel like they're solving anything. As I recall, not that I'm like deep in on the Star Wars expanded universe lore, so I'm sure somebody <laughs> is going to start yelling into their headphones at this point, <laughs> telling me how wrong I am. But I thought that like what people liked about Thrawn, amongst other things, was that he was sort of an interesting nuanced look at, because like, he he's an alien that is like the only high-ranking Imperial officer, yep. and the rest of them are all humans. And that's a talk about how, sort of using him to talk about how people can become enmeshed in systemic racism that works against them when if they are an individual who happens to be benefiting from it. Mm. I remember that being a thing that I read about. He hasn't really... Hmm. Hmm. Maybe that's like way too nuanced for I Disney, don't, I don't know. I don't think that it's, at least not yet, he's not really benefiting from it. He's just like super good at everything that he does which is why even mm. though everyone is mad he, at him because uh -huh. of politics 
he uh, keeps moving forward. Okay. I'm well, the Admiral, and I'm mad at you. Here's a command post. Okay. This sounds like a riveting book. <laughs> like, you're really selling it. I, uh, I don't know if I'd recommend it if you weren't someone who was into Star Wars, which I guess goes without saying. I picked it up for fun, and it's fun, I guess. All right. Got any, uh, anything else? Uh, I, uh, probably, but I don't form memories very well, so I can't talk about them. Oh, uh, well, all right. Anthony, what about you? What have, what have you been up to other than driving? That's the last thing I heard that you were doing. <laughs> yeah, since my lateness. Um, I uh, just moved uh, to a new place. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm done with the horribly fucking stressful part. Well, I'm done with half of the horribly fucking stressful parts. Um, but yeah, moved. Um, been reading. I just started reading Guns, Germs, and Steel. Um, oh, Jared Diamond. Yeah, yeah. He, he uh, came to my high school when I was in high school. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's just very... Like, uh, because it got the Pulitzer, because everybody in the world was talking about it, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a spectacularly readable, fun thing. And it's just like, it's a textbook, but it's a really good textbook. Like, it just reads, <laughs> it doesn't read like a narrative account of things or anything. It's just like, no, here's all the stuff you should know. And it turns out mankind is the fucking worst. Just FYI. Is, is the main character super clever? <laughs> the main character is a germ <laughs> that turns into a gun. I thought the main character was a gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like Spore, sure, it's, a, it's a gun that yeah, it's ah. a gun that shoots germs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I I finished the last season of Better Call Saul, and that show is very good. And yeah, I'm playing some stuff, but we'll talk about that when we get to that part. Cool. Um, I, am, I guess I'll I'll talk about me. I've been super boring this week. I went to work every day like a boring grown up. Uh, I got you. a new phone. That I guess my my <laughs> phone died. It, it was doing this thing where uh, you'd go to hit the button to wake it up, and it would just not wake up until you soft reset the hardware. And the th- after doing that three times, I decided I probably needed a new phone. So, so the phone was saying, wake me up. Yeah, <laughs> good, okay. Yeah, um, but I did read, uh, I've been reading a couple books. I finished reading Dragon's Teeth, the new Michael Crichton book. Um, Wait, it, is Michael Crichton still alive? No, no, this is just a manuscript that they found that he, I guess it was complete enough that it Quote just unquote. could be, I, found. you know what? Okay. <laughs> it, uh-huh. It's, uh, I talked about this a little bit last episode. It's, it's a historical fiction about, uh, paleontologists in the late ni- uh, 19th century using real historical figures. Um, since, since the last time I spoke about this, I said I finished it. It ended up basically just like a cowboy story. They got the Old West, and he lived in Deadwood, and there was a showdown in the street, and he ran a, rode a stagecoach. Like, this is not high Michael Crichton scientific thriller. It, was, it really reads like he was just like, man, I like westerns. <laughs> I'm going to write a western, and then maybe I'll make a movie, and I'll call it Westworld, which I also watched the first episode of. Oh, was that based on because, Crichton? Yeah, Crichton made the original movie. I think he wrote the script. Uh, and he directed it, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So I did two Crichton things this week where I finished Dragon's Teeth and I watched the first episode of Westworld because I guess that was airing last year and everybody was like, this is a really good show for game developers to watch because it's just like, hey, what if video game real world? <laughs> <laughs> Every time somebody says that about uh, any piece of art, I'm like, oh, you don't like what I do. You think I suck. 
Because it's never anything but, like uh, really flattering or interesting or about nuance you, of like you systems. Know, it's it's got to be uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's always something along those lines. But the the people who were telling me this were other game developers. Oh, okay, okay. They were like they were like it's really good. It's like what if they implemented a, a video game in the real world, which is also how I've heard like Sleep No More described. If you've ever been to that, um, but. I, so I watched the first episode now that I have HBO again because uh, Game of Thrones is on, which means that my mother is subscribing to HBO, which means I could leech off of her. And uh, the first episode of this was like, okay. And I immediately, upon ending it, said, there's no way that they can land this plane. There's no interesting way to conclude this story. Because it's just a story about like our, like our artificial intelligence is capable of being people. Let's take twelve episodes to re- figure that Which out. Which I feel like we're all because... like we all fucking saw Blade Runner. The answer is yes. Like, is that even a question anymore? <laughs> right, right, and that's why I was like, okay, like I know it's an HBO show. It has to. It's it's going to be like half the episodes are going to be dudes shooting at cowboys, and half the episodes are going to be you know dudes having sex with uh, I don't know, like old west ladies. I guess what do they call those? There's got to be a word for them, but I don't know what it is. Women. No, no, like the specific Old West get-up lady. Oh, like harlots or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the women in Red Dead Redemption who have the huge dresses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe they're... I, and then I, so I went to my friends and I said, hey, is this going to go anywhere? And half of them said, yes, it's amazing. And half of them said, <laughs> no, you're going to hate it. So I don't know what to do. Um, I also started reading Love the... Love it and hate it. Yeah, I also started reading the new Haruki Murakami book, Men Without Women, which is a sh- short story collection based, I guess, I guess entitled after the Hemingway novel. And it's a bunch of short stories that he's written over the past however many years about men without women. And if you like Murakami, it's uh, it's just good. Like, he's a good author. I, he's never going to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, but I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and then I've read most of Pale Fire by Nabokov, which is like a weird narrative metatext hypertext poem that he wrote before hypertext was a thing, but he footnotes every single line with like a paragraph and a half of text, hmm. which... So which, like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yeah, but the it's... I'd say that the poem is maybe like 20 pages long, and the footnotes are 150 pages long. <laughs> so like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to confess that I didn't read past chapter one of that book. Hmm. It's, it's I heard it was good. good. It yeah, I heard good. it was good. But I, I I don't hold that against you. But yeah, it's it seems like it's just him playing a game to see how badly he can control his readers into reading this ridiculous, <laughs> increasingly absurd poem about people that don't exist, annotated by a fictional character that he made up to annotate this, who might be King Edward in disguise, or maybe is just a delusional person who thinks he's King Edward. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. I guess I also watched the first episode of Game of Thrones, but like, man, don't watch that show. Don't <laughs> be like me. I, I, that's... I, I, I've heard the exact same things that you heard, and I've gotten to a point in my life where... There are so many things that are actually good. If somebody goes, mm. it's pretty good. If they go, it's like, oh, or you like, you gotta give it a. It's just like I could just not. I could just <laughs> catch up on all the fucking amazing shows that I haven't watched. Yeah, yeah. If if I didn't have 
people in my social circle that it becomes a thing that I would be excluded from conversations. I would not watch it, but it's more of a social thing for me than a enjoyment thing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Wait, it's, it's funny that it's a social thing too, and you're like a year late to the party. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, this, I'm talking about Game of Thrones. Oh, not, sorry, Game of Thrones, not, uh, not Westworld. I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones, but like, don't watch it. I like. Oh, uh, oh yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I watch Game of Thrones for the exact reason that you do contradicting people who are talking about the show based only on my knowledge from the books yeah because you've read all the books and haven't (laughs) seen any episodes right yeah 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 it's funny when you're just like wait that's not what happened (laughs) what are you talking about yeah so like i watched the show and like i every every opinion everybody has about that show is correct if you like it you're right if you hate it you're right like i get it i totally get it (laughs) But the the one thing that's really bothering me as of late is the fact that, like, the first half of the books, I guess the first few seasons of the show, are, are some of the most interesting fiction I can think of because they make you look at violence in a way that I never looked at it before, which is, like, I'm about to say, what I'm about to say sounds really fucking stupid, but, like, violence is bad and not fun. And, like, only Game of Thrones, as far as fantasy series I can, I can think of, actually leans into that. Like, there's never violence used against anybody... Um, you don't like that isn't horrifying. Mostly violence is enacted on people you do care about and are and are pleasant. And when violence does come to people you don't like, it's never cathartic and it's never something where you punch the air and feel good about it. And it feels like since they went away from the books, almost everything, including the battle, the bastards from last season and the way that, that they deal with the, that one character that Sansa is in the on the opposite side of the cell with, avoiding spoilers, um, all seems designed to just make you feel real good and like punch the air and be like fuck yeah. And it's like that's not the point of the series. Mm. And that really kind of bumps me out. Yeah, I will say that I thought that this first, the first episode of this new season was just like well done television, regardless of whether you like Game of Thrones or not. I was just like, oh, this is paced really well. And it focuses on the stuff that is good about that I like about Game of Thrones, which is just like people sitting in rooms talking about military strategy and how they're going to <laughs> sort of politic their way around everybody. Because I don't care about any of the romance and I don't want to see people actually die, but I want to hear them talk about their strategy. That's what I enjoy. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's really good for that. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I like uh, games that are heavily based in political maneuvering, but uh, didn't play any of those this week. But if that's if that's it, if that's what you all have for the haps, we can move on to the game section. We can talk about what we have been playing. Yeah, yes. why not? Uh, Anthony, you, you said you had played something, so why don't you start us off? Uh, so I got an itch for basically, I, I realized this week that like, after I played XCOM for the first time, I convinced myself like, I like turn-based strategy games. And then the more <laughs> of them I played, the more I realized like, no, I just like XCOM a lot. Like whatever part of my brain that gets scratched by XCOM, no other turn-based strategy game I've played is capable of doing that. Uh, but then, um, somebody from Flambeer replied to that post on Twitter and basically said like, well, uh, uh, Steam World Heist is really good. So mm. I've been playing that, and that's pretty fun. And I also played, um, oh god, what's it called? I've forgotten now, but it's really good. It's got an unfortunately a generic name. Kingsway, um, which is a roguelike that takes place inside of a, an imaginary uh, uh, operating system. And it looks I'm like... Already I'm, sold. Yeah. The, I, it, it's a really, really good game. The problem is that like I don't, I don't know how well it'll sell. We'll see. But like all of the screenshots make it look like it's a dumb parody of like bleh, bleh, stupid roguelikes and RPGs. But like it's actually really compelling in in its own right and uses the um, 
the UI elements in a really interesting way. So like if I'm attacking somebody, um, I have to click an object when my loading bar goes up for me to be able to attack for, before theirs does essentially because we have different attack speeds. But while that's happening, they might spawn other enemies and then all of a, shit, all of a sudden I have another uh, window in front that's maybe blocking the window if I want to attack that initial guy. So I have to move this other window over and then sometimes they'll throw attacks at you and they just have one big button on them that says avoid and they'll like move across the screen really quickly. It's a really, really, really fun game. I've heard, uh, so I actually had a really funny conversation about Kingsway with uh, some people uh, this past week where a guy I know, uh, for, the, for, for listener, long-time listeners, you may re- remember uh, Doglord420, who pitched this game with just the plug this game, that, that it rules, and then like two <laughs> days later it came back and said, actually I have an update, it looks really cool but it's not very fun to play after a few runs. To which I, which I described this arc of his as a tragedy in two acts. <laughs> but, uh, but, but our our friend Zach, uh, Zach Johnson of Kingdom of Loathing, said that he he felt the same way that that it, but that it should have been like a three hour narrative RPG and not a roguelike using the same sort of mechanics. Mm, okay, I can so, that. so that, so I've I've heard a bunch of people talking about this game now, with including you. That's that's three separate opinions on three ends of I guess three points along a spectrum. Uh, but it's but everybody has that has said like the sort of like the ninjas who minimize your window after they do an attack or whatever. Yeah. Like just a bit of really cool UI stuff going on in that game. Yeah, I, and I haven't played enough runs to know if it actually holds up to like you know long term roguelike scrutiny. But I, right. I'm enjoying it now. Yeah, no, it's it sounds like it's got a bunch of really cool ideas in it. This reminds me of that game where I think it's like one of those maze games, but you're going around and. Things are attacking you and you have to shoot them. But if you miss and shoot like an NPC or whatever, it just deletes that file on your hard drive because you are exploring your file tree. Yeah, that was a funny idea, but I hope that nobody <laughs> ever played that video game. There was, uh, I think there was, there was one guy who um, basically cheesed it by just making a bunch of bullshit files on his computer, like one ah. KP files, and then so like he, there was a really, really good chance that whatever he did, it wouldn't actually hurt him, because like, we can't have fucking nice things that actually make <laughs> have emotional reactions to things and aren't anymore, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Are you, are you liking SteamWorld Heist? I really liked SteamWorld Dig, but I haven't played Heist yet. Heist is pretty good. They're very different. It's a, it's a oh, softer I, 2D XCOM. I know that the okay. uh, the, the soundtrack is done by Steam Powered Giraffe. Okay. Which is a rad, heavily themed uh, band. Mm, I Did they do the, the SteamWorld Dig one as well? I don't think so. I don't think that they were really okay. a, a thing yet, aside from YouTube. Okay. Uh, have you have you seen or played the Mario's Mario Rabbids Kingdom battle yet? I've seen it and I'm incredibly fucking excited for it. <laughs> I okay, I played it at E3 uh, what, during the short break where I was not manning that booth, and it was it was just Mario skin XCOM. Oh yes. <sighs> like I went in, I was like, man, this looks like the dumbest thing ever, and I came out and I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> good. I don't I don't own a Switch, but when I do, I'm gonna get that game because it's real fun. Oh, that's awesome. And then there are gonna be two games on that platform. Yeah. yeah, it is really weird. It's really weird to see like Mario standing with a gun behind a chest high wall, with like a aim percentage that he's got, and then you, you shoot and it's just XCOM. But I I was into it. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's XCOM with gonna... minions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
All right. What have I? What did I play? Okay. So we need to we need to make a, an executive decision for the future of this podcast. Do visual novels go in the books ha. discussion or in the video games discussion? Depends on the platform. I, I'm. Uh, it's always going to be on a computer or game console if it's a visual novel. I say fuck yeah, it. Yeah, always going to be games. computers. Yeah. Computers aren't for games. Computers mm. are for spreadsheets. I, I worked on some of those today too that's not a game uh, I'm sure you can admit that there's a spreadsheet game I mean there's oh, that I've flight simulator in Windows uh, Excel 1997 right if you got to sell hmm. 275 ZZ or whatever and type something in it opens a flight sim jeez um, yeah so that, that's a spreadsheet game no but so so the first game I actually played this week was uh, the world ends with you solo remix which is a complete remake of the DS oh. classic, The World Ends With You. <laughs> you hear those air quotes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like it's not old enough to be a classic, but it was really highly regarded. I liked it. I, I, yeah, I, was... I liked it too. It was cool and stylish and had good music. Uh, and I really wanted to replay this game, but I don't enjoy, in general, play games I've already beaten. But there is, but the the World Ends with You solo remix is a. It's on mobile. It's on Android and iOS, and uh, the you may note that there is a huge difference between a DS and a, a phone in that the phone doesn't have two screens. <laughs> you just have to so use they two just, phones, right? Well, yep, you got it. That's <laughs> <laughs> see, this is this is the real reason why I got a new phone so I can play <laughs> this video game with my old one. No, but so what they did is they just made a new battle system. It's just got a completely huh. different battle system from the original. Uh, and they redrew all the sprites and they added a bunch of new music. So it's the same story and, you know, you're still doing the same things, but you're having a different play experience. And that's sort of what I wanted because I could have my cake and eat it too. I could replay that game, but still also play a new game. Uh, it's it's just a really really well done mobile port, which is not a thing you see a lot of the time. Usually, when a game is Looking ported to Final mobile. Fantasy, anything. <sighs> oh yeah. Anyway, but th- so that's weird because this is also a Square game, right? Like Square Square made this and then made those. I don't know. Uh, and then so uh, after finishing Steins Gate last week, uh, Gord, have you played Steins Gate yet? <laughs> yes. Okay. Good. Uh, I'm gonna have to ask you about it later. Okay. So after after uh, no, after finishing Steins Gate last week and deciding that I really was not finished with those characters or that setting, I went and I explored some of the like external spinoffs and stuff. Um, but I decided that I what I should do is I should just play the the game that came out before it, the prequel to it, Chaos Head, which is in the same setting it also takes place in uh shibuya just like the world ends with you so both games i played take place in shibuya and you play as this sort of shut-in anime otaku social outcast who is like very clearly not mentally sound he has delusions all the time where he just has a break with reality does he think that he's king edward no but he thinks that he is being stalked by an organization that could basically use electrical signals to rewrite people's minds and brains and personality because human biology is basically a computer. So if you've solved how to program that, they can just EMP you and it makes you into whatever they want you to be. Hmm. Which I 
you know, I guess there's some scientific premise there somewhere. But this this game is just like not as good as as Steins Gate. So it's by the any, Demon by Souls of the series. Well, it's just a different story. <laughs> you ch- and you sort of choose the way that the story goes by interacting with his delusions and sort of determining which ones that he has or whether he has them. And I'm at, I think, like, the last chapter, the second to last chapter, and it's... It's it's just not as good. And I would have a really hard time recommending it to anybody who didn't really just like the other ones so much that they want to see more of this. What's the but, uh, what's the speedrun world record? It's a visual novel, so I presumably <laughs> as... as as fast as somebody can just hold down the control key, which skips all the dialogue, which ends the game. Well, that means it's not a terrible uh, investment of time. Uh, if you're not reading it, you're not getting anything out of it. It's a book. It's literally a book. That's like flipping through the pages of a book and being like, well, I read that. Now I, uh, I want to do that. Show up at GDQ Good. and have... I'm going to speed run this book. <laughs> You know, that would probably be funny once. Well, yeah, like, you wouldn't want to do it You might be able to once. get away with that once. Uh, anyway, that's what I've been playing. Gord, what have you been playing? Uh, I played some Chroma Squad. Chroma Squad is uh, pretty decent. It's a turn-based tactics RPG. Uh, and the theming is that you are uh, an independent Power Rangers studio. Uh, so all of the there are there are two layers. There's the what's happening in the plot of the episodes, and also at the same time uh, the characters who are the actors interacting with each other. Like y- you'll punch somebody and they'll die, uh, and they'll drop like duct tape or something, and there are, there's special effects while they run off screen. And they'll uh, sometimes they'll say something like, "Ouch, you tore my costume." Um, and uh, that's that is fun. I'm not really super into the Super Sentai genre, but I am aware of it enough to uh, understand where they're coming from. And then uh, between episodes, you use these materials to uh, make your giant mecha costume better, for example. And uh, I'm enjoying that. I don't know if it's going to hold my attention for too much longer, just because there are, you know, an infinite number of games out there, and I've got to play them all. Uh, I've also been playing Caves of Cud, Caves of Quad, Ch- Chud, Q, Cued. Oh, uh, the the Caves of the what is it? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, uh, that, wait, that wait, cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. Uh, that, that's what Chud stands for, right? Yeah. And okay. uh, it's it's uh, it is just Dwarf Fortress Adventure Mode standalone. I I I don't mean just like it is. It's a lot more than that, but it is. Somebody took Dwarf Fortress Adventure Mode and said, "Hey, I'm gonna uh, polish this up a bit. I'm gonna throw it into a new setting." Uh, and I'm also going to maintain its nigh-impossible difficulty. This is, uh... I was going to say, if there's one thing that Dwarf Fortress could stand, it's any amount of polish. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they keep building it out. That 
I guess I doesn't count as polish. No, polish like is playability, and that is the number one problem with Dwarf Fortress is yeah. that it's inscrutable. So in Caves of Cud, you can just press spacebar, and it will, like, it will automatically interact with the nearest object in the way that makes sense, and that is definitely not something that Dwarf Fortress is going to do for you. Also, it's got tiles on by default. It's also one of those things where it's extremely tempting, because I got Caves of Cut as well, because people are like, it's like a less complicated Dwarf Fortress, and it's roguelike, you love those. <laughs> and I realized less complicated Dwarf Fortress is like, it's a small Godzilla, or like some other better <laughs> metaphor that is not occurring to you. Yeah, literally, Eddie, literally every game could be described as less complicated than Dwarf yeah. Fortress. It's, not, it's no metric. I mean, nothing. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, yeah, I, I played a bunch of Caves of Cut and then realized that what that made me want to play is more Dwarf Fortress. So I just dumped another 40 hours or so into Dwarf Fortress. I'm, uh... Hmm. I went out of my way to choose a the most peaceful Embark uh, because I wanted to build up the... Uh, fully explore the, the temple system and the library and the tavern uh, fortress location systems. And, uh... That's going great, going swimmingly. And then a where Loris invaded. Oh, I had to look up what a Loris is. It's one of those gigantic. It speaks eye for the trees. Flurry, uh, furry creatures. Yeah, they are. They are adorable. That was uh, that. Uh, anyway, the, there were some videos that went around a while ago. So uh, a where Loris came in and bit one of my dwarves, uh, and then immediately just got squashed into the ground because it's this. Small rodent creature. Uh, when uh, when these guys appear, the game pauses itself and puts this big splash message up that says, "You your fortress has been invaded by uh, four or five or six uh, string character name the Werelorus." Now you know why you fear the night. And uh, now I know. I had no idea beforehand, but now I get it. <laughs> yep. This fuzzy little creature who takes nothing and falls over. Would you say it was a terrible night to have a curse? <laughs> yeah. Uh, y- y- yeah. Um, so uh, that, that somebody was, will get that and laugh. It's a, I got uh, it. Reference, right? <laughs> yeah, but you didn't. No, laugh. Yeah, fair you enough. Didn't fulfill both. I just assumed yeah. there was going to be like a. I thought you were going to like bend the the syllables and make it kind of rhyme with Loris or something. I don't know. Yeah, come on, Justin. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 what do I look like a, a comedy? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was that was a thing. And then uh, on the next full moon, that one dwarf who got bit transformed and bit two other dwarves, and then got immediately squashed because he was just this fuzzy little adorable creature. And then on the next full moon, uh, this thing's got exponential growth. So I ended up with two dwarves left, and I locked them in a room. I mean. Put them in a room with some rocks and told them to wall themselves up, uh, Otto Amontillado style. And I went, <laughs> I waited until more migrants came, uh, and then made the migrants kill the the existing dwarves. So it was basically like starting a new fort, except all of the benefits of having it be completely furnished, um, and uh, just continued onward like that. And then. A year or two later in the game, I was invaded by a were gecko, and the whole thing happened again. And I just don't have a strategy for this. 
for something that the game doesn't notify you about until it's too late. They're too close to run inside and shut the doors. Uh, Not like a like a wolf spade on the door. Yeah, I, I keep trying to make my dwarves uh, harvest wolfsbane, but it only grows outside, and it's only a, uh, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how to make this funny, so I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell if you're, I can't tell if you're serious or not. So yeah, I, I don't know anything about dwarf fortress. Like, oh, so that, that's a, that's a thing. You guys are like next level dwarf fortress players. I see, I see. <laughs> I I can't play dwarf fortress, so uh, I. I was joking, but you know, if if Gord told me that that answer was a hundred percent serious, I just would have been like, "Well, it makes makes sense." Okay. I would I would not be surprised, but I that is not one of the twelve things that grow underground, which means that the dwarves would have to cultivate it outdoors, and being exposed to the sun uh, makes them super dizzy and throw up all over the place, which just makes everything green. So the the wear gecko uh, this time I dug out a channel deep underground with a little underground lake. And I told all of my dwarves to stand in it, and I put a switch in there that, uh, when somebody flipped it, would flood the cave, drown the dwarves. Uh, but again, I had to wait for migrants. And at this point, the the, the migrant uh, message is like, uh, despite knowing that this terrifying place will probably be their tomb, some migrants have arrived. So then one of them comes up and flips the switch. Uh, and then there was one other one, and then I got a werebear has invaded, and I just stopped playing. <laughs> just like this this slow death by a thousand cuts. Um, I might like I might look up some strategies and get a little further. I was definitely getting into the, the library setting. They will, uh, the dwarves will just go down there to read a book, and uh, they'll have discussions about scholarly topics, and they will, there's a whole tech tree uh, that you don't have any control over, but if you put if you throw enough dwarves at it, they will eventually start coming up with discoveries that pay back into gameplay, and that's cool. Like I don't know, a, a better antiseptic for surgery or something. Is this a new system? Like, did this recently get patched in? Uh, yes. Yeah. By recently, it's like I don't know. Uh, it's a couple of years old by this point. I remember mm. I remember being excited about it, but then my game would crash every three hours. And I would lose everything. And that's not a game where you want to invest a tremendous amount of time and then have just have it be taken away from you. Uh, that right. what has been fixed. Okay. That's uh, I think that's it. Um, All right. Cool. Yeah, Sproggywood. The... Sproggywood's another roguelike. Play it. Mm -hmm. Same makers as Caves of Cud. It's cute and polished. And uh, that's it for me. Dwarf Fortress, right. Dwarf Fortress, some more Dwarf Fortress, and then some things that I like Dwarf Fortress. Hmm. I think you have a type. <laughs> I, can, uh, I, can, I, I can talk some more about Dwarf Fortress if you want. No, no, that's fine. I, I can do it. I'll do it. I, I know you like can. You can record your own separate Dwarf Fortress <laughs> podcast. Uh, you should just do a, a weekly Dwarf Fortress cast by yourself. Yeah. Uh, you you could fill an entire hour every week. I'm sh I I know. I've been, I know. Thinking of doing I've been exposed to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I'm doing some streaming. Yeah. I don't know if the demand is there. Well, why don't we go to the uh, why don't we go to the interview then? All these questions that our that our listeners wrote in. Oh, uh, all my questions are about Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> I doubt it. I should probably. <laughs> Speaking of Game of Thrones, the, the so the first three questions are uh, all about League of Legends. 
which I imagine is what you work on now. So, I don't know. You could be working on secret projects. I couldn't so. I wouldn't be able to tell you what I... Yeah, it's true. Is it, is it Half-Life uh, so, 3? Yeah, it's Half-Life 3. <laughs> you nailed me. It you should got be. It. Got it in one. Yep. <laughs> one guess. Uh, so, first question comes from John Targaryen. Is that a spoiler? I feel like that's a spoiler. Who uh, who asks, on what do you base the lore of Runeterra? Um, primarily, it's the stuff that kind of came before. Um, the trick is that basically League had a bunch of lore for a long time, and then they retconned it. And uh, I'm on the, the world building team, which is about like trying to say, okay, well, what's what's a, what's a version of this world and, and the lore that sort of works for all these characters that already exist and can like loop stuff in and make it a cohesive place that you want to tell other kinds of stories in um that said like i know graham who's one of our writers who's a like a new york times best-selling author who like did a bunch of warhammer dolls and stuff he looks at, like everywhere he looks at like folklore from every possible um different culture and, and history and all that kind of stuff but i'm a shitty writer not a good writer like graham so i just like think about movies i like and steal things from those because I'm a hack. Uh, you, you just gave the writing industry's biggest secret away. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, fellow writers. <laughs> it's that it's just it's just one guy who's good and everybody else is no Yeah, everybody else is copying no, out one guy that knows what he's doing. <laughs> Actually, I think it's that there were six guys. Six guys wrote six stories and everybody's been copying yeah, exactly. them ever since, right? No, it's the uh, yeah. Neil Stevenson book Anathem. Snow Crash. There are just an infinite number of dimensions but they're all layers and the closer to the closer one way the further one way you go the closer to uh pure concepts you are and these concepts are just bubbling up through each layer so your thoughts are just things that are being beamed to you from this other all right it's a, it's a good book go read it that's pretty cool need the book <laughs> rocket 123 asks what caused Riot to switch from just throwing darts at the, at, at the wall with their lore to expanding Runeterra out into a wide-spanning world with an overarching story with the Void in the past few years? Uh, well, I can only speak to... I'm just sort of kind of... Because I'm, I'm, I'm relatively new. I've only been here since October. But my understanding is um, it was basically the idea of like, well, we've got the most popular game in the whole world. And if you have that audience, you might want to be able to tell other stories in that universe. Um, and initially, the big game was about like let's get a champ out every two weeks or however, whatever, however insane their 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 schedule worked, where they were just had an incredible number of uh, champs to release. And then they went, well, now we're so rich, we could all live forever and we'll never die. Uh, we might as well think about you know how we could uh, flesh this out a little bit more. That's my assumption. So, have you worked then on so? I guess this ties back to the first question a little bit. Like, have you done anything with those retcons or have you not yet mm-hmm. sort of touched those? So how, then how do you determine which, I, I'm going to betray my ignorance of the deep lore of Runeterra here. How do you, how do you determine which champion or character or piece of lore 
is due for a retcon and which one is due to stay. Because really, like you could, if you have two champions and you they have sort of conflicting stories, you could choose to retcon one or the other to make them consistent. So how do you make those choices? Well, yeah, and, and we and we don't think about it as retcon so much as updates because basically the a lot of the old lore was just like, hey, here's a paragraph explaining who this person is, and that was all you got. And now we do a thing where it's like you get a longer bio that explains who they are and contextualizes them, and you also get a little bit of color text that basically is kind of a short short story that shows them being cool. Um, so it's less of a retcon and more of a like just being consistent with what we're doing now. And honestly, a lot of that stuff just comes down to schedules of can we go out with other stuff and support other projects that are happening, or um, you know, is it is it just advantageous for some reason to go after this one right now because there's so goddamn many of them? And yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. But yeah, I got to work on a bunch of ones Makes for sense. the Zon and Piltover event um, that they did, and that was really fun because I really like that that. Uh, location and telling stories there because it's basically it's like cool steampunk city and cool like chempunk city and those are just fucking really fun places to work cool do you have a do you have a favorite pet character are those your two like ones that you love or um i think my favorite character is probably miss fortune um who is the Buxom, dual pistol wielding, redheaded She's captain, like the, pirate captain. Right. I I remember she killed Gangplank. Yes, she did. Right. That was yes. I remember hearing about that. That's some that that was something that definitely penetrated into my bubble of knowing nothing about League of yeah, Legends. Yeah, because they they killed uh, him off in because the game they were for like. Day. Yeah, and I Whoa. was like, oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, you just couldn't pick him in in hero selection because he was dead. And I was like, that's good. I like that. That's that's a fun <laughs> thing to do. Yep. Actually, you know what? I lied. Poppy is my favorite. She's an adorable little uh, girl who just wants to be a good person. And I really like the characters of League of Legends, but a lot of them are like badasses, and Poppy isn't. She's just a sweet person, and I love that kind of shit. Gord, who's your favorite? Um, You're also not going to offend me if you haven't played League of Legends and don't know who any of these characters are <laughs> or don't know what the lore is. Like, I don't mind. I, know, I mean, I know who my favorite is. Oh, I know who your favorite I've, is. Your, sister, played, your favorite yeah. is the giant dinosaur who gets bigger every time he eats a hero. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is he wearing a, a top hat or something? He, he can. can. You have the gentleman Cho'Gath skin, yes. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, that's. I was talking to um, to uh, August, who is one of the champion designers. and We were talking about uh, Heroes of the Storm and League of Legends and sort of differences. And I, he was, I was like, all right, guess who my favorite hero is? And he was like naming a bunch of heroes I'd never heard of. <laughs> and, and, I, and I told him Cho'Gath. And, he, and I said, now, do you know why I like Cho'Gath? And he was like, four-minute dissertation on the minute <laughs> mechanics of Cho'Gath and like why he's good. And I was like, no, I like him because he can be huge. <laughs> he's a big boy. He's a very big boy. Yeah, because he can... He can be huge. Like, what else do you need? I want to be. I want to be big. Want to be. Want to be big. Uh, my brother actually just yesterday he plays League a lot, and he was just like, just so you know, Cho'Gath is busted right now. He's the best champion in the game. I decided I was gonna play, and I was just gonna play until I win. And then I looked at the clock, and it was three thirty, and I'd won seven games and ranked <laughs> in a row as Cho'Gath because he's busted. I was like, well, I, I, I guess I'm okay with this. Yeah, they're worse fates. To the 90th writes, were you in charge of the Zaya and Rakan voiceovers? And if so, what were your goals and inspirations? Oh, I should have told you guys beforehand. No, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, that was, <laughs> oh, okay, that was Odin, Schaefer, <laughs> and Matt Dunn. So the answer is no, but what were your goals and inspirations? My goal was uh, <laughs> to continue working on what I was working on, while Odin and Matt were working on that. 
But I believe their, cool. their goal was they uh, kind of wanted um, – I looked at some of their inspirations for stuff, and, and uh, I think Khan is the guy. Yes. Uh, one of his was like kind of like a James Brown guy, kind of like a really cocky, flirtatious kind of dude, and it's pretty cool. Sweet. Mm. Do you have a do you have a champion that you worked on voiceovers for that you would like to talk about? Or? Uh, no, not yet. I haven't actually gotten to do any uh, champ voiceover yet. It's all been um, uh, other world building things that I can yeah. either announce because they're already out, or I can't announce at all. Sure. I think that those two were uh, were called out because in the in the little discussion thread that was going on with questions, somebody said that they felt like Borderlands <laughs> characters in the way that they talked. Very flattering. So Extremely flattering. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of Borderlands stuff, uh, we their next three questions are about Borderlands. And the first question comes from Jamas, who says, I got a question. <laughs> How they come up with a villain as awesome as Handsome Jack? He's like the best character in the game. No, we, we've, dis- we've decided that uh, we've already discussed that Cho'Gath is the best character. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, <laughs> he yeah, goes between okay. games and is still the best. He's like the final Pam. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he—he's not from Rune Terra, right? He's from a, a a different dimension. Maybe that dimension is the Borderlands Why dimension. Not? Why not? Why not? It would make sense, right? Yeah, you can't say you haven't been yeah. there. You don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, that's super—that's a super flattering, super nice thing to say. Um, Handsome Jack basically came out of a desire to rip off Bioshock, um, which is okay because the lead. The creative lead of Borderlands 2 was the lead designer of Bioshock, a guy named Paul Hellquist. He's like super fucking talented and cool. And basically, the thing that I always loved about Bioshock and about Portal and about um, System Shock 2 was uh, I, I really like, especially in first person shooter, RPG, whatever games, uh, having a, a villain centric story just always works really well for me because it matches the verbs that the player has. The, the player's used to killing things, so I should want to kill the, the thing at the end of the story like just makes sense to me um, and so the idea was like okay I, I definitely want this to be a villain centric story and then it, I sort of realized after Paul had mentioned like this he better be good then you dumb idiot uh, because I basically signed myself up for trying to make a, an entire story that only works if the villain is, is, is functional and both likable and not likable and so it kind of ripped off um elements of there's this interview that nathan fillion did on jimmy camel maybe or jay leno something and he was just being really really charming and also kind of arrogant and uh all that kind of stuff and i wrote him that way and then we got damien clark the actor and he just ignored all that and just did his own thing and it was way better anyway so it was all fine i i will uh i will let you know uh i i played through borderlands 2 entirely because I thought the writing was good and funny, even though I hate first. Oh wow, shooters. that's very flattering. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, Paul, Paul's not here, but Paul Paul loves the writing and the gameplay. He just likes shooters, but he will tell you like Justin suffered real hard to get through that game because he thought it was funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. That's a, that's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I you know I I don't think you designed the shooting, and it's not I mean it's not a Borderlands thing. It's an I don't like first person shooters thing because I don't like shooting at yeah. people. Like, like I, violence is is difficult for me in yeah, games. Because you're a moral but, human being. Yeah, but I I thought it was really funny. So yeah. and then uh, you also did you how much of the writing did you do for the Telltale one? Uh, so I basically did. Um, what did I do? I did a little bit of writing. I, I did some o- overall consulting for the series early on, and then once I left Gearbox, I actually got to do 
more writing for the series itself. So I did a little bit of writing at the very last episode, and I think the third and fourth I have a little bit, I believe. But yeah. Okay. That's great. Because I, yeah, that was, I think, the best Borderlands oh, yeah, game. Absolutely. I will tell people, like, the Tales from the Borderlands is the best Borderlands game. Yeah, without question. I, I totally agree. But, yeah. And also, like, up there for the best Telltale game. Like, I would say it's hmm. either that or The Walking Dead, depending on which one you like better. Like, which style you're into. No, I totally, I totally agree, 100%. So, uh, that, you know, with the disclaimer that I haven't played every Telltale game. Uh, but I, I've played a number of them. I also really like The Wolf Among Us. That's we get a sequel. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Hagoa writes, Why did you make me feel bad for killing the combat engineers? Uh, <laughs> so what he's referring to, if you don't know, is they have a lot of lines about, like... Um, how uh, they were about to quit, and it wasn't really their fault. <laughs> and Jack, they just had a paycheck. They didn't know all the things Jack was doing. Da, 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 da. Um, and the reason for that is a because I thought it was just kind of funny because it's like a dark comedy, and mean spirited things can be funny in dark comedy. Uh, and b because there was a lot of um... <laughs> so Randy in Brandon Pitcher's mind, the Vault Hunters are heroes. In Paul and Mai's mind, the Vault Hunters are not good people. They're people that run around killing things so they can get more stuff, so they can kill things better. And they end up doing good because they are less horrible than the, the big bad guy, but they're still essentially not good people because being a not good person is really fun. Um, and I wanted to write the dialogue in such a way that... I, I didn't want to make you like feel bad necessarily, so I guess that's kind of a failure um, because I don't like it when games only give you one verb and then make you feel bad for using that verb, like Hotline Miami, where they're like, oh, do you like violence? <laughs> Look at this like deep thing we're saying about the nature of it. It's like, fuck off. I bought a game about this because I know that I enjoy it and because it's not... I, I'm, I'm, I'm enough an adult to know that playing Hotline Miami doesn't make me a shitty person, so I can't stand when games try to pretend that like your actions in the game reflect like, but think about it, though. Um, but I wanted to make a <laughs> gag kind of out of the fact that you were a bad person and have you enjoy it and understand that that's what you're doing because there's nothing less the only thing more irritating to me than some, than a game that pretends to be saying something deep about violence while also indulging in violence is our games that pretend to be being heroic for indulging in violence um, because it sounds like you really loved Bioshock Infinite yeah Bioshock Infinite had some stuff um <laughs> but and again going back to the, even the original Bioshock what I liked about that was like the, the, the enemies would just have barks like I'm not a bad person and it's just like oh Jesus mm. um, and I wanted to have a little bit of that but in a, in a with a slightly a, a rapper of being slightly funny about it so that you were you would you know shoot a guy he'd say he was he, he was just about to quit or it wasn't his fault or whatever and you go oh oh well and then sort of keep doing what you were doing because you're <laughs> still a mass murdering vault hunter who has a job to do yeah, uh, I think the first time I encountered something like that was actually in one of the Star Wars games, like one of the like Jedi Knight Dark really? Forces type. Yeah, there's there was a sequence where you were being a Jedi with a lightsaber, cutting your way through an Imperial base, and if you hung outside a room for a couple seconds before going in, the stormtroopers just would just have ambient conversations, and one of them was just like. Yo, did you hear about that Imperial base on whatever the last planet, the last mission was on? The other guys, and the second server was like, yeah, man, I heard a, a Jedi came through and cut everybody up. It was terrible. <laughs> this guy's just like, man, that would be like the one thing that would ruin my day. I'm just a trooper <laughs> here on patrol. I, I really hope no Jedi comes through and, and kills us all. And then, of course, you like walk into the room and cut them in half. <laughs> mm. 
but that was like, that was before the the stormtroopers were all clones, yeah. right? They were just like ordinary people. Now it doesn't matter because they're them, clones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wood does that. Uh, you are being guided along by this. Uh, I'd like to say benevolent uh, mini god, uh, but like you as the player recognize clearly that uh, the things that he's having you do uh, equate to adorable genocide. What game is this? Sproggy Wood. Okay. It's a, a roguelike. So like, you know, it's go, go into the dungeon, kill the, the sentient mushroom things that are uh, swarming in and uh, cramping up your your civilization. But like, they give you enough insight into the other side of that that you can tell that that's... Uh, what what's what's the word they are they are answering your violence with uh violence yeah i'm looking at the steam trailer right now and somebody says look it's a yeti go civilize it (laughs) and that was sort of what the ending of bastion was too right like all those guys were attacking you but it was because you'd come into their house and beaten up all their dudes uh svardskamp i think that's how you say that i'm sorry svardskamp if i pronounced your name wrong says, I'm, to be honest, very interested in how you approached filler versus content. Do you honestly think every piece of content is worth it, in quotes? And on the other side of the spectrum, how do you get through the creative part knowing that a quest might be filler and put yourself through that process? Um, I can say with some certainty that, at least on Borderlands 2, nothing we did we looked at is filler. Because if you if you make a thing with the intention of it being filler, it's just like, that's the quickest way to make a thing that's really bad. Um, basically, Borderlands 2 was like like... It's like an ungodly long game. And part of that is because it was designed to have, you know, X number of areas and do these many things and da-da-da-da. And part of it is just because the people that worked on it really, really, really enjoyed working on Borderlands games because they're kind of fun. You could do things you can't get away with in other franchises. Um, So almost every single quest in that game is because the person who owned that map or owned the missions of that map was really interested in, in... showing off some element of the combat or because there was some element of their map that they thought was really cool like i want to get you to this location um or sometimes you know a lot of the times it was like you know the um uh, creative director paul helkos would be like i want to show off the new features that we have in this game so let's do a quest where you have to set people on fire and then do something else with them because with the fact that our mission system can even notice that you have set something on fire is, is a new thing so let's deal with that or sometimes be a narrative thing where I'm like, I really want to make this jack- a good joke about um, uh, shooting a guy in the face once and all that kind of shit. So it really all came from, it sounds like bullshit, but it was all coming from a place of like affection for what they were doing and excitement, uh, less so than like, we need to fill this space with stuff because otherwise people will get bored. Like it was, ne- it was never a worry of ours that people were going to get bored because we knew the game was going to be really big and people just kept wanting to make stuff. Did you have a, a class that you favored? I really liked playing as um, Zero, uh, the assassin, because I loved, I had a build I, I called Shotgun Ninja, where you had a skill where you could make um, any backstab damage, any, any, any damage from behind do a lot more damage, and um, they're Tior guns um, that when you throw them, you re- when you reload, you throw them and they explode, and so I found out if I went into, like, like stealth mode, or whatever, I can't remember what it's called anymore, got behind somebody and then shot them a bunch of times with my shotgun and got the backstab damage bonus and then also threw my shotgun into them, then I would get another damage bonus and like I would just melt enemies really fucking quickly and it was super fun. Ha. I never uh, I never played Zero. I always had somebody in my party who was him, so I never I never experienced that particular joy. Creek is, is probably my favorite. I always though. played... Uh, 
I always played the the Sire. Oh yeah, she's great. Maya's fantastic. I do. I don't. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember her name, but I played her because I liked the siren in the first one. But it seems like they, uh, you guys, nerfed that class a little bit, or you brought it brought it in line with the other. Yeah, ones. I just want to make it different. Basically, everybody was supposed to be a little bit different, except for Axton because he was the normal looking white guy, right. and we needed the normal looking white guy class so people could feel safe. Yeah, and then you added those. Uh, I think Paul's favorite was the Mechromancer. Oh yeah, Mechromancer. He fun. liked. Uh, yeah, he he liked the not having to aim. Yeah, part. She, was, she was really fun to write for. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, so those are all the those are all the Borderlands questions. I guess we'll move on to our the 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 questions that we have, and then we'll be done. Then you could then you're free. You can do whatever you want. Rolls my oyster. In in any context, you can yeah. do whatever you want. Not just in terms of leaving this podcast, if you want to. So this question, uh, I can tell that Justin wrote it. I wrote literally all of them. It's a uh, one, two. It's it's some sentences. So you've gone from writing for the internet to make web comedy to writing for a primarily comedy FPS to writing a more expansive world building lore for a Loma, not the most story heavy genre. How is your thinking come? Uh, how is your thinking about writing changed as a result of these projects? Obviously, moving from comic film to comic game is a lot in common, and no one is saying league isn't without humor, but there's a different set of demands involved in each. Question mark. Yeah, um, there there's definitely a lot of different demands. Um, the thing that makes my life less difficult as a person who writes for video games or video game franchises is that I think I have a healthy disrespect for the place of narrative in video games. Um, I'm a guy who will often skip cutscenes and, and, and resent story for taking my time that I could be spending playing a game and doing all that kind of stuff, um, which surprises a lot of people, a lot of designers that I work with, because they're like, but it's, it's like you're betraying your own people. It's like, yeah, well, that's not the place of narrative and games as far as I'm off concerned so what that basically does is I can self-enforce a bunch of constraints on like what do I not ever want to do to the player if I can absolutely help them it's like make them stay in the room for a long time make them watch a cutscene make them blah 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 um, so going from Hayash to Borderlands is really difficult in a lot of ways but it was also nice to have a, a, a guiding principle in terms of you know this is what I want to accomplish narratively and I don't want to just have completely free reign for bullshit um, and then on League, because all the stuff I'm doing is, is is out of game, essentially, it's actually been really hard in a different way because I'm just not an accomplished prose writer. I just don't have a, as much experience in it as I do writing dialogue or writing for, for games. Um, so a lot of it's just been the editorial process that uh, Riot has set up has been really, really helpful in terms of getting a lot of feedback from people and being like, hey, is how you report this better? Here's where your story is or isn't working, da 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 um, But yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling to that. Cool. No, I mean you're answering all aspects of the question. I think that, but I can I can definitely see sort of in the design of Borderlands too. For example, when you sort of things you put out because like there's there is a lot of story in that game, but it's never intrusive in a way that gets in sort of steps on the gameplay. It's always somebody talking to you so you can keep doing what you're doing. It'll go to radio. It'll be told as a sort of a quick visual that doesn't demand a lot of time. To, as a, and you could just sort of get on with what you were doing, and I guess you could just not listen to any of those audio logs if you yeah, didn't want yeah, yeah. to. You're still you're still gonna have that big marker in the map saying go here and shoot that yep. thing. So it definitely like that that makes a lot of sense with how that game turned out. Um, 
But sort of when, when you visited uh, the, the World Building Media Lab, when, when I met mm-hmm. you for the first time, uh, there's somebody who asked you a pretty specific lore question about Tiny mm-hmm. Tina's father. And you were like, well, I, I sort of wrote it this way, but it never, this might not be canon anymore. And now you're working at Riot on that world building stuff full time. How much of that stuff did you have sort of in terms of your experience going into this job from Borderlands? How much sort of world building went into Borderlands? Or was a lot of it just sort of make it up as you go? It's a comedy where anything sort of... Can uh, there's a lot of world building that went into Borderlands, but, you know, because I, I, I wasn't on the original Borderlands, I had nothing to do with it, essentially. So it was um, it was basically a whole new set of muscles That's to really sort of uh, to, to, to work coming to write and basically... Like, I, there was just a moment the other day where I was writing something, and I was like, well, there's not a lot of information on this, the location of, a, of Runeterra, but and I realized, like, oh, I could just make a thing up, and <laughs> if the thing isn't bad, then that thing could just be a thing for everybody all the time. And that was weird. It's really interesting that you say that you said that there was a lot of work on the world-building done on Borderlands 1, because that game was so bare-bones in terms of its narrative that, like, I, I, I played through the whole thing, but... I like would not have recommended that to people the way that I recommended Borderlands Two, because it felt like there was like I I'll play a game for story or for comedy, right. but there was just very little. Well, it's, there. It's, also, you know, like so there, really- there, you know, the there's a big difference often between world building and story because just the reality, the production realities that they were dealing with meant like there wasn't going to be right, a right, right. story, but they'd done a lot of pre-pro. Right. Yeah, and I'm, it's interesting, because I, I, I imagine way more of that came out in Borderlands 2, so it's interesting to hear that it had already been set up, even though it didn't feel really manifest. Yeah, totally. There were actually a lot of moments in Borderlands 2 um, that were just designed to point out stuff that was supposed to be in Borderlands 1 that nobody that either did not ship or that was that did ship but nobody understood or got because there wasn't enough dialogue to support it. Like, there's an entire quest about TK Baja from the first game and, and Helena Pierce from the first game, and those exist partially because, like it's easy to just sort of go back to characters that already existed and play around with them and have fun. And partially because, right. um, like, oh, it'd be nice if people knew that this is why we did X or Y or Z with TK Baja. That would make us look like we knew what we were doing all along, so we did. <laughs> Man, people not getting stuff in your in your story and having to write something else is the <laughs> existence. Yeah. Yeah, that... Hey, kids, there are still unsolved puzzles in Frog Fractions too that you could find and advance the story if you found really <laughs> nobody's solved nobody's Holy solved shit. them yet yeah that's a spoiler for people who listen to this podcast to go back <laughs> and figure out what the heck they missed same goes to our patreon backers yeah yeah our patreon backers also have missed something that uh they they really should should solve for their own benefits anyway it's enough of that why don't we why don't we go f- do this question <laughs> Modern game writers often feel stymied in their craft by a number of potential issues, from lower pay in games versus other industries, to an industry often slavishly dedicated to producing something more like an interactive movie than a unified story-based game, to even a basic disconnect between the design team and the writing team, etc. How would you describe your own contact with these points of frustration, and do you have any ideas about how best to combat or overcome them? Um, I've been extraordinarily lucky, and I've never really felt like I've had to compromise or, 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 or felt like I was doing in situations that were that were suboptimal um, for the sake of story. Like, I've just been really, really lucky. And again, a lot of that could just be because I'm naturally 
self-effacing when it comes to the place of narrative and stories. So I think if and maybe that's a solution. It's like I come to story as often as I can, going, "Hey, you know, this is about the gameplay. The story comes second. This gameplay comes first. I'm much more about supporting what's there." Da da da. And I think that naturally can often put um, designers, especially, in a good headspace and be like, "Oh, okay, this is. I can trust this guy. He's not going to just try to fucking turn it into." last of us when we're just making you know a farming game or whatever the fuck um but yeah i've never really had been put into a situation where it's like no my art you don't understand um and i'm pretty grateful for that great yeah man uh you're very lucky i i have i know a lot of people who have been just sitting in a, a production room with a bunch of game designers and every time something changes, they're just like, oh, well, you know, we'll justify yeah. it in the writing. And then they have to re- rewrite the whole story. So, well, I guess that's, that's like the end of this show, of this, of this pod. We've, we've run out of questions. Is there anything that you want to ask us? We should always <laughs> offer that question. Yeah, what's, uh, what people, what, give, give me a spoiler on what people haven't figured out in Frog Fractions. Give me some of that sweet, sweet spoiler juice. <laughs> I, I'm, sh- you know, if if you if you check your watch radio, the answer might come through, <laughs> and you, you'll know. You know that watch that watch radio that you've always okay. been wearing the whole time that we've been yeah, talking. Okay. Yeah, my Dick Tracy. You didn't no, know you were wearing a watch radio. My yeah, Dick yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You should be paying attention All to right. that. Sometimes people will people might tell you things through that. Um, we do have one last question that we ask all of our guests, uh, and I need to I need to get get on making this database searchable database of answers uh but that is what is your favorite cheese oh boy. Uh, i really like feta cheese a lot okay that's a good one have we had have we had feta as an I, answer i yet? don't think that we have i don't think we have either that might be the you may be oh, the first man, feta that's a shame for uh for feta's sake because it's very good i think people are put off by the smell oh. I, there are easily worse smelling cheeses Sure, but I think that like feta has that reputation of being a smelly cheese, and I think hmm. people are just like I don't think I've come across off. that. Hmm. Well, maybe it's maybe it's just a joke that Ron Gilbert made in <laughs> Spy Fox in Dry Cereal. His his uh, what is it? James Bond Fox parody game. But there were definitely a lot of smelly feta jokes in that game. Also, if you haven't played uh, Ron Gilbert's classic. <laughs> Point-to-click adventure, Spy Fox and Dry Cereal. Uh, it's I'm sure it's like two dollars on Steam or something. It's really funny, and you should play it. Uh, also, the last time I played it, I was probably eight, so take that with a grain of salt. It, uh, it definitely stands out. Definitely holds Have up. Have you played? You, you you've played it recently? No. Uh, okay. Man, let's get Ron Gilbert on the podcast. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> uh, all right, I'm gonna say. Uh, this, this episode of Red Pages Podcast, and, and every episode of Red Pages Podcast, is brought to you by those aforementioned Patreon backers. Uh, thank you so much for backing us on Patreon, backers. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thanks, backers. Uh, Anthony, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what's, where could they or like find your stuff online? Where, where could uh, they do they that? You can find my website at anthonybirch.pizza, or okay. uh, <laughs> you, could, you could find me on Twitter, but why would you? Like, you could just... Everybody's on Twitter. I'm underscore Anthony Birch on Twitter, but like I don't tweet anything good. I would rather just, I just go to AnthonyBirch.pizza and ask something and the questions shit if you want to talk to me. Cool. Uh, Gord, where would people go to find us? Redpag.es. 
And then okay. the contact button. Yeah, or you can email us directly at contact at redpagespodcast.com. It's um, true. I think I know who our next guest is, but I don't think I'm allowed to say it yet. Is it Ron Gilbert? But, yeah, you got it. <laughs> Man, I'm just on fire with these uh, yep. first guesses. Uh, yeah, yes, and. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to say goodnight, everybody. Have a, have a safe and, and happy night, and thanks again for listening. Keep on Trucklestein.